are revisiting the historic Kenneth Arnold UFO incident. We're also talking with journalist and author Leslie Kane about a new effort to scientifically study UFOs. And, of course, we've got current UFO news to discuss right now on UFO Mod Pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to the premiere of UFO Mod Pod, a podcast all about UFOs and UFO-related topics. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Maureen Ellsbury. Thanks for joining us. All right, first, a quick introduction to UFO Mod Pod. As with all shows, this show is going to evolve over time as we progress in our episodes and figure out the right flow for everything. But basically, this is going to be a biweekly podcast, a roundtable discussion. We're going to be talking about... UFOs, obviously, uh, but more specifically, we're going to talk about current UFO stories. We're going to talk about the history of the modern UFO era, and we're going to have special guests talking with us about these topics as well. Basically, we're trying to present a modern introduction to the UFO phenomenon for a new generation. So thank you for joining us today, and we're going to start off with some UFO news. First, I want to begin by talking about this interesting poll that Chapman University conducted. They publish a survey of American fears. This is the second year they've done it. It's interesting The Chapman University survey of American fears pulled more than 1,500 people across the country to provide a glance into the fears of the average American. A poll data was separated into four categories, personal fears, natural disasters, paranormal fears, and drivers of fear behavior. The top fears determined by the poll are, well, unsurprisingly, boring real-world issues like government corruption, identity theft, and terrorist attacks. Go figure. You know, the things that we all worry about, those tend to be the top fears uh, for Americans. But I'm bringing up this survey because the paranormal portion of this poll is better than most comparable polls because the questions are better. Most polls addressing UFOs, there's so many polls about UFOs all the time, but most of these UFO polls typically ask the nebulous question, do you believe in UFOs? One of the polls that got a lot of attention, actually, was conducted by Nat Geo in 2012, and maybe because of bad wording, the poll produced conflicting results. Uh, So what they found is more than a third of the people polled said they believe UFOs exist. 48% 48% responded that they aren't sure, and 49 or 79% said they believe the U.S. government has withheld information about UFOs from the public. That's really confusing. If you look at the numbers, how can more people think the government has withheld the UFO information than the number of people who even believe UFOs exist? Kind of funny, but polls are funny that way. That being said, the specific questions asked by the survey on American fears were interesting because they were more specific and more interesting than are typically asked in UFO polls. The poll found that 20.3% of the respondents believe that aliens visited Earth in our ancient past, and 18.1% of the respondents believe that aliens have come to Earth in modern times. The survey also examined paranormal beliefs related to related to Bigfoot ghosts and dreams, and the full results of that study are available on Chapman University's website. We have the direct link to that on our website, rogueplanet.tv. So what do you think about these results, guys? I, I think that, that they're actually surprisingly low when in terms of how many people believe aliens have visited Earth um, either in the past or in modern times. 
Um, again, we don't have, do you think aliens or extraterrestrial life forms exist here? We're more specific. So it's whether or not they're coming to Earth, not necessarily whether um, aliens are out there. Out there, yeah. And I, and I think this is unique, too, because there are studies based on fears, but it's not addressing the idea of are these people afraid of aliens? Mm-hmm. Are they actually, uh, you know, answering in a fear-based response? Or is it just, yeah, they probably visited. I, I'm not too worried about it. Mm-hmm. Great point. I mean, that's why these sort of polls are so limiting. And we've come across this many times when there have been uh, these petitions to Obama and the mm-hmm. White House, where it's all about the wording. And when we get the answer back from them, it's, you know, no, we have no information pertaining to an alien presence on Earth. When in reality, we should have been asking, is there some sort of intelligent life out there? Um, so again, it's all in the wording. And like you said, Maureen, this is a fear-based poll. Um, they're not looking at the science behind it, the the case history, nothing like that. So um, interesting, but I would sort of take a poll like this with a grain of salt, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. But it is always interesting when um, there are mainstream sources, mainstream media, uh, public universities conducting polls like this and incorporating the UFO ET theme into those and mm-hmm. just kind of, again, we, they're very limiting. You can take them for what they're worth, but interesting to see how the uh, public perception and, and feelings and beliefs surrounding these topics progress over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, seems like almost every month or every couple of months there's a new poll dealing with UFOs. Um, the data is always slightly different, but what you can take away is that most people do believe in extraterrestrial life. Most people do believe in UFOs. So it's interesting. It's interesting mm-hmm. to see that, to see attitude toward these topics slowly changing and to see them addressed by, again, public universities. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and and that is great. And again, uh, we've talked about this many times in the past, is the biggest pet peeve with UFO polls is the question, do you, do you believe UFOs are real? Well, mm-hmm. it, it's again, it's the whole thing. UFOs are real. That just means they're unidentified until they're identified. And so mm-hmm. the question should be, and all these big news sources should phrase it, do you believe UFOs are extraterrestrial? Some UFOs are extraterrestrial in nature. Right. That's always the shocking thing with with the wording of these polls and uh, just how they haven't gotten over that hurdle of the belief that UFOs exist. We know UFOs exist, and that's not crazy conspiracy theorist claims. That is well-documented, documented, studied by the government, governments around the world. Yes, UFOs do exist. That's not the question. We know UFOs exist. The question is, what are they? Yep. Exactly. Interesting, but we'll see more polls, no doubt. <laughs> well, Ryan, speaking of a UFO, uh, what do you have for us today? Uh, yeah, this pertains to, I guess, the UFO topic, as it were, because we do not know exactly what this object is, but... It turns out that we, space junk, guys, as we know, is just rampant around our planet, but it's very rare for it to make it into our atmosphere. Um, But this is apparently going to happen. I believe it is happening uh, November 17th. Uh, It is one of the first times we've been able to actually pinpoint a time and date for space junk to 
to crash onto our planet. Um, this certain object is being slated as WT1190F, or as it's been dubbed around the news, the WTF space junk. Um, again, wonderful pun. Uh, gets it going across the Google searches and whatnot. And yeah, this object, it, um, it isn't going to cause any damage. And I believe it was the European Space Agency who they suspect because of the size of this object, it's going to be about three feet to five feet wide, and that most of it will burn up before it actually hits the Earth or causes any damage. And uh, it's not a major concern because if it comes to Earth, it's, it's going to land near Sri Lanka in the water. So uh, not much concern for the safety of humanity, but they also say that I would not necessarily want to be going fishing directly underneath this object. It is going to be traveling at 25,000 miles per hour. So um, yeah, stay away from Sri Lanka in the next month or so, guys. So, so Yeah, and it should be the next month because here's the deal is I read quite a few articles about this and multiple news sources have conflicting dates. I've seen a couple places say it was yeah. November 13th mm -hmm. and oh. some November 17th. So you can imagine this poor fisherman who's like, oh, it's going to be on the 13th <laughs> or it's going to be on the 17th. And they uh, go out fishing that day and get hit with a pebble <gasps> traveling 25,000 miles per hour. That's that's a death sentence. <laughs> Just what they needed. Right. Yeah. So and yeah, um, so stay out of the water. There stay out of the water. November to be safe. And yeah, I mean, this is a good example of a story that really. Uh, Generated a lot of interest in the media. Media outlets around the world ran stories about it, um, calling it the WTF UFO. Uh, people talking about this UFO that was going to crash into Earth. So there's a lot of really sensational headlines surrounding this story, a lot of conflicting information. Mm -hmm. You do have to watch out, but you're right, Ryan. I mean, space is absolutely littered with junk, so much junk. I think there's a great documentary out about space junk, and I haven't seen that. I'm going to look that up and find out what the name of it is. But, yeah, NASA estimates that there's something like 500,000 pieces of debris. Yeah. Well, this I'm, – I'm sure it's significantly higher than that. But as far as what is currently tracked, mm -hmm. 500,000 pieces are being tracked as they orbit Earth. Um and these things are moving incredibly fast, 17,000 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And you got to think how dangerous that is for the International Space Station and other space stations, other things that are going on up there. These fast-moving pieces of junk crash into the space station. It's all over. I think it's fascinating that there's actually an entire department that is the space junk you know, yeah. uh, department. <laughs> there's, that's people's job is to sit around watching – uh, you know, pieces of metal we threw up into space half mm -hmm. the time floating around and, and making sure they behave. Um, right. it's, it's very, very interesting. Fortunately, um, there are teams working on cleanup efforts, uh, right. interesting missions to launch craft with a specific purpose to kind of go and eat the space garbage Dunker. and bring it out. <laughs> um, several of those projects uh, in the works, which is good, but pretty sad that we've littered space so bad but yeah. hey look at earth what do you expect well exactly. and, I, and i think we can say that uh you know most likely we don't know what this piece is but it's suspected that it could go back to the apollo missions that this is 
most likely not a extraterrestrial uh, piece of of material, but we don't know. Yeah, we don't and know. That's, that's an interesting we're element. Not yeah. Know. Yeah. They said mm-hmm. it's gonna. We're not gonna be able to tell what it is. It's gonna burn up too quickly, and we can't tell um, at this time because it's not one of the pieces that's being tracked by yeah. the space junk because it was coming from, um, you know, deep space. Yeah. Well, deep space nine. The be- best we can say <laughs> is. Uh, like Ryan said, if you're in Sri Lanka and you're fishing, uh, you might want to put off your, your fishing trip for a while. and For a few weeks, yeah. <laughs> for, for the month of November, just to be safe. Sorry if that's your only income. Yeah. <laughs> well, from something we don't know uh, to something we do know, let's talk about this. On Monday, October 25th, a photo was posted on Facebook that shows what looks to be a large spacecraft emerging from the clouds directly over the active N1 highway. The caption posted with this photo reads, N1 from Midran today. Do you see what I see? Could be another South African UFO sighting or just a reflection of something else. Naturally, the photo spread like an alien invasion across the Internet and various media outlets ran stories about this UFO over Midran. A newspaper in Johannesburg even reportedly ran the photo on its front page. But on Wednesday, October 27th, Local media outlet The Citizen was contacted by the individual who took the photo. That photo of the UFO isn't real, he announced. He continued, took it using the Camera 360 app. Yes. Uh, So he sent it to his friends as, as a joke, didn't think it would cause the stir that it did. Guys, there's certainly no shortage of apps to let you add UFOs and even aliens to your photos. And Maureen and I have gone down this road and investigated and reported on some of these apps for years now. Camera 360 is just one, and it was responsible for several hoaxed photos that generated headlines back in 2013, right after the app released a photo effects titled 2012 that allowed users to add UFOs, extraterrestrials, and other light effects like lightning and stuff to a photo. Um, And the UFO in this latest South African photo is included in a free effects package for Camera 360 called End War. And Mm. and I don't get why, you know, I can understand a lot of people are gullible, but it's these images that they're so fake um, visually that it's how could you believe something so irrational is rational and publish it on the front page of your newspaper. And here's something else too. Just recently, we're talking about in the same time frame, really like in a span of a week, there are so many photos out there right now making the rounds that have this same UFO in them. Right. <laughs> the same UFO. That's it's a huge there's red a massive flag. Invasion. There's an invasion, Jason. A- a- apparently, um, and it's it's even it's sad. I mean, this does fool a lot of people. It does take away attention from uh, other sightings and, and cases that do merit serious research. Um, somebody even submitted a photo with this particular UFO to MUFON in a MUFON sighting report. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just so it muddies the waters. I mean, the waters are considerably muddy already, um, but you just have to be careful when looking at UFO photos and understand that you, you know, they can provide supporting evidence, but 
they could also be easily faked. And I, I do quickly want to just point out that UFO researcher Isaac Coy ripped these photos apart pretty quickly. He does a really good job with identifying uh, fake photos, hoaxed photos. And I think he was responsible for determining the source of the original artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, it was created by a, a digital artist and posted online in 2006. So I just wanted to give him credit there. But, oh, man, we, we will – Maureen and I talked about this years ago now, and we can still say it. We're going to continue to see UFOs, UFO photos generated from cell phone apps. That's just something we're not going to be able to get away from. And, and you know, and I honestly think, and this is almost a warning, is we're building up to next year having um, the second Independence Day film release, mm-hmm. and we're going to see all sorts of strange, both marketing – Yep. But also uh, just random things like this that are generated from other press. So I, I think it's just always make sure you take everything you see online with a grain of salt and, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you have a critical eye because there's just so much crap out there. And it's important to weed through that and identify that stuff and say this is a total hoax in order to give yeah attention to the cases that actually merit it. And a lot of people... Um, tend to get angry when we debunk things. I don't think the app one is necessarily one. People will be mad that we debunk. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, going into, you know, the if we're ready for it, the Kenneth Arnold sighting. As you mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, part of what we're doing here is attempting to provide a modern introduction to the UFO phenomenon for a new generation. And as part of this effort, in each episode, we're revisiting notable people and events in the history of modern UFOs. And today we're spotlighting Kenneth Arnold. Researchers typically consider this UFO incident that occurred on June 24, 1947, as the commencement of the modern UFO era. Kenneth Arnold, a pilot and businessman from my current home base, Boise, Idaho, was in flight when he noticed nine unidentified objects flying in formation at incredible speeds near Mount Rainier in Washington State. He described the appearance of these UFOs as looking like flying boomerangs whose movements resembled saucers skipping over the water. And he estimated the speeds of these UFOs at approximately 1,200 miles per hour. The incident received considerable media coverage, and stemming from Arnold's description, the press coined the phrase flying saucer. So, guys, this is a a case that has some pretty historical significance uh, in UFO history. Mm -hmm. And and there's a lot of debate. I think that um, it started off as uh, something that really – I give him credit because he went out and he asked. He thought, well, this could be military um, test flights, but the military said, no, we had nothing to do with it. You know, there's a lot of speculation about certain um, German planes and mm-hmm. whether that, those could be attributed. I mean, this was a time where there was a lot of secret things going on, um, spy planes and things like that. Then there's a lot of people who think that that, that he was seeing birds. Um, mm-hmm. So... I've never seen a bird flying 1,200 to 1,700 miles per hour, but imagine that he's also in a plane flying. Uh, It's tricky to probably tell exact sort of estimate of of speeds here. Um, So it's very strange. And I think you can also look at the fact that this one sort of typo by the media, because she made it sound like he was describing 
the objects looking like flying saucers, Mm -hmm. that this entered into this era where all of a sudden people were posting uh, sighting reports of saucer-shaped objects. And it's whether the reflection of what you read in the media influences what's happening outside or whether, you know, that is just something else completely. It's, it's confusing a little bit. It's very confusing. I mean, you, we, we see this all the time, guys. I mean, how culture sort of inspires the phenomenon. Look at, you know, abduction reports involving the greys. And that sort of came about after Whitley Strieber's book came out, Communion, or just different things like that. You're right. When, when this report, excuse me, when this article came out saying that it was quote-unquote flying saucers, even though, you know, Arnold meant that what he saw looked like it was skipping like a saucer off of water. Um, that's what people went out and were looking for. And that's what they wanted to see. So all these reports started coming in about flying saucers after that. So we do have the whole chicken and the egg <laughs> thing when it comes to this right. case, for sure. And as you pointed out, there there are a lot of uh skeptical approaches to this a lot of skeptics have attacked this sighting and and come up with plausible explanations for what kenneth arnold saw they've also attacked him for over the years kind of changing his story a little bit having slightly different descriptions of the objects he saw um some of those being a disc or pie pan and a boomerang or half moon you know some of these things have quite different physical appearances but I, I, I will point out, I'm not siding with Arnold or, or, or siding against him, but any story, especially a story that I tell because my memory is not uh, quite as sharp as it should be, um, mm-hmm. details from a, a story from many years ago, especially a UFO sighting, details will, will change a little bit. You're not going to remember it uh, as fresh as you did right after you saw it. So, you know, it's not – it doesn't automatically throw out this entire account because some of his descriptions slightly changed over the years. Right, and, and actually his, his story was verified by a prospector on Mount Adams, which mm-hmm. is uh, further south, that he saw the objects at the, around the same time. Um, now, again, we don't know whether these were indeed some sort of flying craft or whether they were birds. Uh, there's a lot of conflicting reports on those. Uh, but you have to look at two. I think he's getting a lot of flack, like you said, for A, details changing, but also he started um, sort of obsessing about it. And I think we see this a lot in, in the UFO field mm-hmm. uh, in terms of when somebody has uh, an experience or thinks they saw something uh, out of the ordinary, they kind of become obsessed with seeing more or finding out more. Mm-hmm. And his story started to, you know, he saw UFOs eight different times and, uh, and he also could communicate. I think there was, you know, a little bit on the wacky side, uh, of communicating with spiritual UFO Mm -hmm. guardians, whatever. I don't remember what it was he said, but, um, so people started to say, well, you know, I don't know. That's a little weird. I don't know if I believe that sighting anymore because now he's talking about all sorts of, crazy stuff Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, I mean, we look at someone like J. Allen Hynek, who was brought in to debunk UFO cases for Project Blue Book, and slowly his mind changed and was opened up, and by the end, you know, he did also start getting into more of this metaphysical and uh, ETH hypothesis of the whole phenomenon. So, yeah, you're right, Maureen, we do see this all the time, and witness testimony changes. It's not, it's it's infallible, or it's not infallible, we don't know. Um, does a witness changing their story, does that make it less credible? Uh, I, I really feel like it's a case-to-case basis because the mind can alter and change. And like you said, Jason, we don't remember everything, every mm-hmm. detail, even of our own UFO sightings. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it doesn't go that way. Mm-hmm. So does keeping to your story make it more credible or does showing that you know the mind can play tricks on itself and change things does that make it more credible? We we don't know. We honestly don't know. And and I think that's a good point, Ryan. And and we've seen this a lot with um, even like Travis Walton, for instance. You know, his uh, mind changed about what he felt the motives for his being picked up were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he in the past, you know, felt more attacked, and then now he thinks that maybe it was more of an accident and it was kind of like a little hospital ambulance ride, you know? Um, so that's an, an example of where it's not that his story is changing completely. It's just his ideas about what was happening were changing. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people again think that makes it less credible, but at the same time, it's, you spend so much time thinking about and analyzing something that a new perspective is not always a death sentence on credibility. Right. And skeptics will eat off of that. You know, the story changing, um, excuse me, debunkers. I mean, I think we can all consider ourselves skeptic skeptic, believers. Yeah. Um, it's when the debunking comes in that they rely so heavily on the story changing or quoting other quote unquote skeptics, um, yeah, I think it's a very tight rope and we just have to keep doing what we're doing and use that witness testimony and see what we can come up with. Well, that is just a brief, a very brief overview of the Kenneth Arnold story and the sort of kind of origin of the term flying saucer. And Travis Walton, J. Allen Hynek, Project Blue Book. Most of you probably are familiar with all of these, but uh, don't worry, we will get into those in future episodes. But now we're going to move into our interview. Leslie Kane is a journalist and the author of the New York Times bestseller, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. She recently announced that she has joined the board of directors of a new nonprofit organization called UFO Detection and Tracking, a group of scientists and engineers embarking on an exciting project to collect and scientifically study UFOs. Leslie, I'm so happy to speak with you today, not only because it's been quite a while since you and I had a chance to catch up, but also because you recently announced your involvement with a new nonprofit organization called UFO Data, and I'm really, really excited about what this organization is trying to accomplish. So for those who haven't heard about UFO Data yet, what is UFO Data, and how did you become involved with this group? 
Well, thanks, Jason. It's great to be with you today, too. We haven't talked in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, UFO data was actually, uh, we started working on this two years ago. It's actually been formed by, mainly by other people, not, you know, I wasn't a key player in actually the formation of it, but I'm on the board of directors for the organization. And basically, it's a nonprofit 501c3 group that has brought together um, a a number of scientists from around the world. And what they're going to do is raise money to set up a series of surveillance stations, hopefully dozens of them eventually. And each station will have enough equipment to be able to collect data on UFOs that are in the area and then send it back to a central location. So the idea is to capture scientific data on UFOs in real time that's uh, detailed and complete enough that it gives actually scientists something to work with. So it'll be it'll be a range of you know there'll be photographs there'll be stuff about spectrum and mag you know the magnetic fields and all kinds of stuff and I'm not a scientist so all of that information is on the web- website which is ufodata.net but the point is that um, you know this this UFOs have never been taken seriously by science. And, of course, we all don't think that that's appropriate. But I think one of the reasons for it is that there just isn't the kind of data out there that scientists can work with. I mean, they can't work with citing reports and Freedom of Information Act government documents, all the things that establish the reality of the phenomenon, even the radar traces. We need something much more extensive. And so by doing this, we can actually capture enough data, hopefully, to document repeatedly that there is an anomaly out there and it'll have enough data associated with it to establish the reality of that. And then we can interest the scientists to come on in and study it and also have enough information to publish a paper on it in a reputable journal. That's the goal. Well, this sounds fantastic. And you're right. That that is a very big point that mainstream public, mainstream science makes, the, the lack of data behind UFOs and reproducible data. So these these stations to collect this wide array of, of data sounds fascinating, but it also sounds expensive. So how, how does the group pr- plan to make this happen? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's of course, an issue. We figure, I mean, the way they're thinking now is it's between maybe $10,000 and $20,000 per station. So right now we just launched our group about a week ago, and I wrote an article about it in the Huffington Post, which I hope people might check it out and it sort of announced the launching of the group. And the the goal is to raise enough for one station initially through donations. And then once we have one station, we're going to test that, we're going to run that, and we're going to see if we can collect some data from that. And once we've got something, hopefully we can have a much bigger campaign because we'll actually have something reliable to show people. And then we're going to go for crowdfunding on, on you know, Indiegogo or one of the crowdfunding websites and hopefully raise enough to, to build other stations. And we just think that it'll sort of snowball. The more data we get, the more money we'll be able to raise and the more stations we'll be able to build. And it's going to take a while. But um, we just have a lot of confidence in our ability to do this. And also the group is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all donations are tax deductible. And we just have to take it one step at a time. So the first step is we're on our way now to raising money to build the first station. And we're confident we're going to be able to do that in the next months or something. That's incredible. And so the the first station um, after that, is this going to expand throughout the U.S., the world? What what is the goal? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we'll probably focus. I mean, again, I'm not, you know, you could talk to the people that are more deeply involved with this than I am to get some of these questions. But I think the goal is going to be international eventually. I think initially it'll start in the United States. But we have 
we have Erling Strand, who is in Sweden. We have people from Europe already involved with this group. And we just, I just got an email from someone in Germany who wants to, who has all the gear and wants to set up a station in Germany. So I think it just depends on how the response comes in and what people offer and what people are interested in. But certainly our goals initially will be to get it in the U.S. but so that we can have people man the station and it won't be logistically as difficult. But it could spread. And, and the Hestelin project in Norway already has a station and they've been collecting data for many years. This is just going to be something that's going to expand beyond that and have very sophisticated equipment. And who knows how many stations we'll have or where it will go. But Hopefully it'll become worldwide if we, if you know, looking, looking, being very ideal about it, that's what one can hope for. After all, it's a worldwide phenomenon, so that's we'll see right. what happens. It, it always surprises me when I see articles that, that talk about UFOs and, and uh, poking fun at UFOs, pointing out that, oh, why do, why do UFO sightings only happen in the United States? There's still that public perception that UFOs are this small thing that happens in the U.S. for some reason. But that's not the case at all. Absolutely not. I don't know why people... Well, obviously, if people haven't studied it, they're going to have misperceptions, and I grant them that. But, um, you know, it, it occurs all over the world. What happens is that in some countries, there are places for people to report sightings, and in other countries, there aren't. So we're not going to hear about the sightings in countries that don't have a facility for people to, to call them into or report them to. So that gives the impression that maybe they happen in some places more than others. But I personally don't think that's the case. I just think it has to do with what facilities people have. And, and we know that because there are so many countries that do have reporting facilities and so many countries that we know there are lots of sightings. So it, it doesn't make any sense to assume that you know half the world has them and half the world doesn't. But certainly America has a lot because we have lots of civilian groups that people can go to. We, unfortunately, we don't have government involvement. And what I've been working for for many years is to try to open up the United States government to being a little more accepting of the UFO phenomenon and a little more, uh, you know, willing to put something into investigating it. It's a very difficult task because we have a taboo against it in this country. But there are other countries in which the governments are actually involved. And these are the ones that can set an example for the world. Two countries that lead this are France and Chile in South America. Lots of South American countries have government agencies that it's so it's part of their whole government structure that they take it seriously. And um, it would be like if we had in NASA, say, inside NASA, we had an agency, an office with maybe four staffers that dealt with UFO reports. Or we had something in the Office of Science and Technology Policy at the White House. We don't. And I'm sure people would think, my God, we'll never have something like that. And they may be right. But other countries do. And I'm not I'm uh, think it's very important that the United States do the same if we're ever going to get the scientific community involved. The problem is without the U.S. government involvement, the scientists can't come on board because they can't get their grants and their funding and because there's a stigma against this. So one of the goals of UFO data is to challenge that by taking the matter into our own hands. We're just going direct to the people and direct to the scientists because we can't get the U.S. government to support it. And so we're going to go through that door, and once we get the data ourselves, then we can bring that to the government, and maybe it'll actually help the government take this seriously. So there's various ways to go about it, and that's, that's part of my goal is to get a staffer within the U.S. government to deal with UFO issues, and this group might help that process. 
I think it has a really good chance. It's got it's got all the right pieces in place, and if it continues to move forward, I, I am really excited about what what could come of it. Um, you have a fantastic book, Leslie. It's called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record, and I have to say, anybody who comes to me for recommendations of good UFO books to read, this is the book that I always direct people to because I think it is the best book related to the UFO phenomena. I highly encourage people to check this book out. It's filled with with wonderful, credible testimony from from these these people. But also in your book, you point out something, and you, you pointed this, this out many times in many different interviews, and uh, it's something I firmly believe too, and it's what the data shows. But 95% of all UFO sightings can be explained. We're not talking about extraterrestrial spacecraft here. Yes, that 5% uh, of unknowns could potentially be craft from somewhere else. But the fact that there is that 5% of something in the sky that can't be explained is just completely alarming. So it's it's a mystery why the U.S. government officially um, doesn't show an interest in it now. But that being said, with your book, there are government officials. There are pilots and, and, and other officials who do take the UFO subject seriously so with data from a group like UFO data, um, something that can be tangible, something that can be pointed to and, and have all these different data points, I, I, I'm really optimistic with this. If it does um, move forward the way that the group has planned, that uh, this could open some eyes and ears to, to right. look at it closer. Yeah, well, thanks. I really hope it does. And, you know, I just wanted to mention about that 95%. I mean, it might be 90%, but I want to mention to people that might sound like not very many cases that are truly unexplainable. But in fact, it's, it is a lot because there are a lot of sightings. And also that 10%, let's call it 95 or 90% that are explainable, are, are, are cases that for which there is so much evidence that you can basically eliminate all conventional explanations for them. So we're not talking about, you know, somebody outside sees something in the sky. Well, we can't tell them what it was because oh, they describe that it looked like such and such, and we can't explain it, therefore it's a UFO. No, we're talking about cases because the, it, we don't have any data on those lights in the sky that people see, but we're talking about cases in that 5%. And these are the ones that I wrote about in my book that have so much data they might have you know they might have landed on the ground and left traces or have radar from an airplane and and witnesses professional aviation witnesses maybe five witnesses and radar data and then the ground control picks it up and things like that these are cases with such solid evidence that experts have been able to write off any conventional explanation so therefore we know that they're unexplainable so I just wanted to make that distinction. And the, these cases have also been investigated by mainly by governments, but also by militaries and uh, aviation experts. So these are the cases that are important because they're so well documented. Absolutely. And one uh, public official, one, one government official who shares your passion for, for trying to get open government uh, on this topic is John Podesta. And he's somebody you know well and have worked with. He is Hillary Clinton's campaign manager right now. He was counselor to President Obama, Bill Clinton's chief of staff. And this is something you wrote about on, on his last day in the White House. He tweeted, finally, my biggest failure of 2004, once again, not securing the disclosure of the UFO files. And then 
Uh, recently, in response to an uh, interview done with Hillary Clinton, he tweeted, great interview. Uh, this was with Lena Dunham. He said, but Lena, ask her about aliens next time. Right. That, that was fun. Um, so do, do you think that he and Hillary have, have discussed uh, UFOs before? I have no way of knowing, Jason, right. but I, I tend to doubt it, quite right. honestly. I just think they're, you know... John Podesta has a very kind of dark sense of humor. He mm-hmm. likes to push the limits. He likes to play around. You know, he's an X-Files fan and right. everything. And um, I think he just gets really tempted sometimes to make jokes like that. For him, it's basically just sort of joking around because he knows that everybody thinks, oh, Hillary is, you know, has been to the Rockefeller Ranch and right. Hillary knows this and Hillary knows that. And, and he just thinks it's, it's sort of a lark. So whether they've actually discussed it, who knows? I mean, they may, you know, they may have discussed, let's, I have no way of knowing, (laughs) but I I am certainly, um, would respect, I, I, I think that right now, uh, John Podesta is not going to do anything significant Mm -hmm. with the UFO issue just because there is a lot at stake in terms of the work he's doing with Hillary Clinton. But it's sort of ironic that he, he is willing to come out with these jokes about it. So, it's, you know, he cares. He really cares. He right. wants to help. He and wants to help. But I don't think he has any deep, dark inside secrets the way uh, the UFO community likes to think. I don't, I don't think that's the case. And I've had many conversations with him about that. So he's just a, a very, he's an open-minded, brilliant person who wants to support the work towards getting more credibility for the top. He recognizes that it should be taken seriously and to whatever, in whatever ways he can help, he will help, but his hands are often tied and he has lots of things on his agenda that have way more priority than this. So that's the reality of of the situation. So he'll, he can only do what he can do. Well, first of all, he wrote a, a, a wonderful forward to my book, but he also, um, so one of the wonderful things he did was in 2011, he allowed me to organize a briefing at the Center for American Progress, which is the organization, the nonprofit think tank that he runs in Washington, D.C. At the time, he was president of that. It was before he became uh, the counselor for Obama. And I was able to organize this briefing there uh, with the help of some people inside Washington. And we got a very, uh, you know, government officials there and people from... FAA and scientists, and we just tried to draw on a lot of significant people from the Washington, D.C. community who would normally not want anyone to know necessarily that they were even interested in this. So this briefing was not publicized. It was private. And it was by invitation only. And, and you know, John Podesta sat, and I brought in some people, too, that are have written chapters in my book, people like Richard Haynes from NARCAP and, and Charles Holt from the Rendlesham Forest case, uh, General de Brouwer from Belgium. And we had this panel of people that made these presentations to this very sophisticated audience. And John Podesta sat in the front row for an hour and a half, absolutely riveted and taking notes. Hmm. So, you know, that really, really impressed me. He asked very intelligent questions. We had a long Q&A at the end, and he actually ended up leaving before it com- completely over. But he was absolutely engaged with the topic. And you know, I, I'm just incredibly, uh, I'm I'm very grateful and a great admirer of his and very grateful for everything that he's done. And that's one of the most important things that he did do. Yeah. Well, you know, because he's such a well-known X-Files fan, it would have been fantastic if they would have uh, invited him to be on the, uh, one yeah. of the upcoming six episodes of the X-Files. That would have been fantastic to see I him on I wonder if he there. would have done it. 
He probably would have. He probably would have. <laughs> well, Leslie, this has been fun. Thank you so much. You mentioned UFO Data's website, ufodata.net, where people can go to find out all about that wonderful project. Where can people go to keep up with all of the things that you're up to? Um, I would recommend my Facebook page, Jason, because okay. it's an open, it's my author page. It's open. You can just come right on and we have lots of discussions about UFO data and other things on that page. So I would hope people could visit me there. And I just want to say about ufodata.net, if, if you're willing to go on, there's a, a donate button. I mean, any donation is fantastic. Any donation, no matter how small, makes a difference because what we're doing is we're trying to get a lot of people to give small amounts. And the first 50 donations that come in to uh, UFO data, people are going to be given a, a special PDF file of one of the chapters in my book and that normally a publisher would never allow this to be done. But we're going to give a little gift to people, um, which, is going to, which is going to be one of the special chapters for those people who don't have the book. They'll be able to get a free copy of this chapter. And um, it might not seem like a lot, but I'm telling you to get my my publisher to, to give permission for this was kind of a big deal. So <laughs> um, I just, you know, I recommend, I encourage people just to go on and read it. There's lots of and There's a question and answer page that deals with a lot of the questions that people might have about it. And I just can't tell you all the years that I've spent working on this and researching my book and everything. I really think that this organization is something special and has great potential and could be a, a focal point for people to rally around who are interested in the topic. So I just hope people will go check out the website. And if you feel inspired to make a donation due, or if you feel like you have some abilities that you could lend to the organization, we have a big volunteer page. And, and we're also looking for volunteers that might be able to contribute in various ways as well. So Jason, thank you for giving me the, the platform to talk about this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I, I have to say again, I, I think... This is an incredibly important project, and uh, the potential results are huge. So, and thank you for pointing out the uh, the volunteer section on the website too. I forgot to point that out, but yes, wide variety of volunteer opportunities there as well. So, all right, Leslie. Well, best of luck with everything, and uh, I'll uh, check in with you much sooner than, <laughs> than okay. as long as this took us, because we uh, need to stay up to date with everything that's going on with this, and hopefully there are some exciting uh, updates that uh, you can share with us soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Leslie Kane for taking the time to speak with us today, and thank you for taking the time to check out our new show. We appreciate your feedback, so feel free to leave us a comment. We also welcome your UFO sightings and other UFO-related stories. You can share those with us by using the contact form on our website, rogueplanet.tv. And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter. Maureen is at Maureen Ellsbury. That's M-A-U-R-E-E-N-E-L-S-B-E-R-R-Y. Ryan is at Ryan Sprague 51. That's R-Y-A-N-S-P-R-A-G-U-E 51. And I'm at Acecentric. That's A-C-E-C-E-N-T-R-I-C. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of UFO Mod Pod. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Marina Elsberry. We hope you'll let us abduct your ears again next time. <laughs>